Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's February 19th, 2018, and the president spent his weekend tweeting. That follows the extraordinary indictment of 13 Russians, an indictment that laid out uh, the attack on American politics in detail. So let's get right into it with Steve Hayes, the editor-in-chief of The Weekly Standard. Happy President's Day, by the way, Steve. Oh, happy President's Day, Charlie. I, I preferred it when it was George Washington's birthday, but uh, we can celebrate all our presidents equally. It's sort of like giving a trophy, participation trophy to American presidents. It, 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 yeah, it does feel like that. Now, usually we do this from the frozen tundra of Wisconsin, but I'm actually here in Miami. And uh, I think as a former Wisconsinite, you'll appreciate that I do not miss the snow today. At all. I'm looking forward. We, we have 71 and 74 here in Washington on Tuesday and Wednesday coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be working a lot at night so that I can free up an hour and my will be outside <laughs> at some point. All right. Let's just cut to the chase. Uh, we had the big uh, uh, Mueller indictment on Friday. The president and many of his defenders say that it exonerates him because there's no finding of actual collusion. Um, and uh, at the press conference, uh, uh, Rosenstein used the phrase unwitting uh, to describe Americans who might have cooperated. So did, you know, does the president have grounds to say that uh, this is a nothing burger and that he's been exonerated? Well, if the investigation were over, I think they would have a much better argument than they do. But what we've learned from Robert Mueller's investigation is that there's a surprise around every turn, right? I mean, people in Washington for, for the better part of the past year have talked about the Mueller investigation as if everything knowable is in the public domain. And of course, it's not. I mean, really, one thing that we ought to have learned and, and can file away uh, with certainty at this point is that Bob Mueller is not leaking a lot, despite the claims of the president and his defenders, and that we are regularly surprised when he comes out with an indictment. I was surprised to, to learn about this indictment of these 13 Russians. Most of us were surprised by the Papadopoulos indictments. Uh, we sort of suspected that uh, Paul Manafort might be in trouble, but I think we were surprised by the timing of the Manafort indictment. So Bob Mueller has been full of surprises. Having said all that, I think the president's team is right to think that this is a, at least a temporary victory. I mean, it is the case, as you pointed out, that Rod Rosenstein used the word unwitting. There's no evidence of Trump campaign collusion, witting collusion uh, with the Russians. And I have to say, I in, was even... In this in, in, in this indictment. In this indictment on these specific issues, right? I mean, on these specific issues, we're talking here about social media and, and Internet advertising, basically, and attempts to organize uh, rallies meant to divide Americans against one another. If you take that narrow... Uh, set of issues, which is what's included in this 37-page indictment, I think the Trump campaign can breathe a sigh of relief. But of course, that narrow set of issues is not the entire investigation, and we, I think, stand likely to be surprised by Bob Mueller again. You know, let's, I mean, let's talk about the piece that's up at the uh, the Weekly Standard right now. Eric Felton goes through some of the details, and uh, the Russians were not that successful in creating, uh, you know, massive rallies, were they? They were not. I mean, Eric does a very good job of of walking people through uh, at least part of the indictment and part of the discussion that the indictments provoked, and that is um, th this effort by these Russian trolls to 
uh, hold political rallies or or encourage others to hold political rallies, one uh, side pitting one side against the other. And and as Eric points out, if you look back to the August 2016 time frame as we were moving quickly into the final stages of the general election campaign, you had Donald Trump uh, holding rallies in Florida and elsewhere that were attracting 15,000 plus people. And yeah. these Russian yeah. trolls and Russian bots trying to set up rallies on their own would attract 15 or maybe 20 on a good day. So at least in, in that, they were, it seems, very ineffective and they were not able to accomplish what they'd set out to do. But, of course, we, we still only have a partial picture of what actually happened here. And I, I, mean, I thought the bottom line was, number one, that the indictment showed that this attack was very, very real, that it's not a hoax, it's not fake news. And number two, that this kind of activity is a crime and that anybody that gets roped into it from now on is going to be engaged in a criminal conspiracy. Yes, I agree with that in, entirely. I would say the third big takeaway is that at least given my own assumptions heading in it wasn't as widespread as i thought it was and it wasn't as effective as i thought it was for the reasons that we talked about in terms of organizing campaign activities but also just the the dollar amounts that we're talking about are not significant dollar amounts i think in the broad scheme of things i mean you're talking about you know a million bucks a month maybe slightly more in some months you know, when you're talking about a campaign that overall saw spending in excess of $2 billion, um, this is just, it doesn't feel like a, a very significant amount. Now, that's not to say that it had no effect. I mean, you can look at the times where Trump's team and Trump supporters were echoing or amplifying the arguments that were being made by these Russian trolls in social media, on Twitter, Facebook, what have you. Um, but just in terms of the broad impact, I think it's small. it feels smaller than, than at least I had anticipated going into this. Well, uh, H.R. McMaster over the weekend, uh, the National Security Advisor, did cite this, and, and he said that uh, in a very, very strong response that it was uh, evidence, uh, incontrovertible evidence, I think was his, his term, um, about the Russian hacking. It was interesting then that the president felt the need to kind of slap him down. So what's going on right now between H.R. McMaster and Donald Trump? on this question of how serious the Russian uh, attack on the election was. Well, I thought it was a very, obviously it was a very deliberate statement by H.R. McMaster uh, picking up on the news about the indictments and bro more broadly the fact that it, nobody can dispute any longer that there was this Russian effort to influence the election. I mean, you've had the president say repeatedly uh, things meant to cast doubt on whether this campaign existed at all. Um, you remember even just a couple months ago, he had a discussion with Vladimir Putin and came out and said, well, look, Vladimir right. Putin told me and he believes very strongly that he didn't do anything. And he believes that and that's important. And we don't want to make enemies of the Russians. That's obviously intended to downplay or diminish um, the likelihood that such a campaign took place and the significance of it if one even did. And I think H.R. McMaster thought it was important to be on the record that, hey, not everybody in the United States is willing to just dismiss this as some kind of a hoax, as the president has repeatedly called these reports of Russian meddling. I think it's an important distinction. And what was what was interesting was the president not only smacked down H.R. McMaster after he made the comments that he did, he once again seemed to suggest that this was a hoax, that there wasn't mm -hmm. much to it in his tweeting over the weekend. And 
look, I don't know if anybody can get to the president. Maybe not. If H.R. McMaster is, has, has felt the need to go public and make these comments publicly so that they can't be walked back or so that he's picking a fight with the president in public. But the president needs to stop saying that. There isn't any question <laughs> that the Russians uh, attempted to meddle. I think the president, as, as you and I just discussed, I think the president could say, boy, they didn't find any collusion. A lot of the media hype about collusion on this was overplayed. I wouldn't advise him to say that because, as I said, I think there may be more coming. We're going to learn more about all of this uh, down the road. And it's very clear that the, the president publicly encouraged WikiLeaks, for instance, encouraged mm-hmm. the hacking of Hillary Clinton's emails, encouraged the Russians to make those emails public. So the president invited collusion in public. So he's not this is not exculpatory in the broadest sense. But on this narrow set of issues, I just think it wasn't as significant uh, as it might have been. Well, in one of the tweets uh, that the president put out over the weekend, there was, I think, more than a dozen of them. Uh, He hit the FBI for botching the tip before the shootings down in uh, Parkland, Florida, suggesting somehow that the FBI failure had something to do with the time that it was spending on Russia. And that's generated an awful uh, a awful lot of backlash, including from some of the students down there. Your, your, your take on this, going after the FBI on that school shooting and linking it to the Russia investigation. Well, I think it's disgraceful. Um, the, the two are not related. The, the two, uh, for the president to conflate the two in an attempt to um, you know, make himself look better, to exonerate himself somehow uh, by suggesting more bias on the FBI is exactly the kind of problem with President Trump's rhetoric that some of us have been shouting about for a couple of years. I mean, it's just flat out irresponsible. There's no indication whatsoever that the investigation into Russian meddling, which, as we've said, was a real thing, needs to be investigated played any role whatsoever in the FBI resource questions as it related to the shooting in Parkland. Now, we, we've there's no question that the FBI and local law enforcement and the schools and pretty much everybody else screwed up with respect to this Nicholas Cruz, who was was waving mm-hmm. a red flag. He wasn't just it wasn't just red flags here and there. He was himself ra- waving this red flag, saying, notice me, notice me, notice me. And Nobody paid attention. And you had citizens throughout Florida and beyond saying, uh, in effect, you know, take, taking seriously the advice, if you see something, say something. They were saying something. And the authorities failed to act on what they were told. It's a problem. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the FBI investigation of Russia. And the president is deliberately conflating this to whip up his base and to get them further angry at the FBI. I think it's deeply irresponsible. If you want to criticize the FBI for bias in the Hillary Clinton investigation, I think you're justified in doing so. If you want to criticize or raise questions about the FBI's conduct as it relates to the Trump investigation based on some of the text messages that we've seen, I think you have every right to do so. If you want to criticize the FBI on this Parkland shooting. There's no question that Mm -hmm. the FBI broadly as an institution and specifically in the field office deserves that criticism. But don't play cheap political games in order to make yourself look better. It's really a disgrace. 
Yeah, we're going to come back to the the issue of guns and some of the reports that uh, that we're hearing about the, the president polling some of his guests at Mar-a-Lago about whether or not he should support some sort of restriction on on guns. But I want to just focus just for a moment still on on the Russian investigation. I think I may have a slightly different perspective. I don't disagree with what you said, but but I but I do think that we've learned four things over the last two weeks if you if you put them in in context. You know that the attack was concerted. It was serious. We don't know how widespread it was. You know, number two, we've seen in other media accounts how unprepared Facebook, for example, these major platforms were to deal with this, and they still seem to be in denial. I don't know that we've actually still got a sense of of how widespread it was, but also we're seeing that that this interference is ongoing. It is happening in real time right in front of us. The Russian bots and, and trolls were very, very much involved in the, you know, hashtag release the memo. In the wake of the school shooting, there was an explosion of uh, of social media activism trying to stir Americans up with it within the last you know several days, and finally, um, that this could all get an awful lot worse. I still think that a lot of uh, we uh, a lot of Americans are somewhat in denial about the way technology is changing the world of of propaganda. And there's a you know, fascinating piece in BuzzFeed, uh, you know, talking about the new technology for creating videos that will show, for example, you know, Steve Hayes saying exactly the opposite of what he said. And this stuff is, is spooky. I was actually at a presentation where somebody showed a, a video of Barack Obama saying something that he did not say at all. And I think people were insufficiently freaked out about all of this. So, but I want to come back on this. So, one thing we did not hear from the president was any sense of 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 outrage, any uh, focus on this, and 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 no talks about possible retaliation or things that that he as the president wants the United States to do to protect us against ongoing and future attacks. Right. No, that is that is truly alarming. And, and it goes back beyond even the, before the 2016 election. We've known that Russians have have meant to influence our elections going back years. So that in and of itself is nothing new. What is new is that we have a president who seems utterly unconcerned with this. And th- these warnings that we've gotten from the intelligence community didn't start after 2016, as some Trump supporters would have us believe. We were getting warnings about the influence of Russians on U.S. elections going back, again, going back years. In fact, Devin Nunes, who's been lately making the president's case, himself was issuing these warnings about Russian uh, about Russian influence and uh, continues to do so to this day. So I think you can to a certain extent you can separate the um, this investigation on the one hand and where it leads and and what it tells us specifically about the Trump campaign from the broader question of Russian meddling and Russian interference. There's absolutely no question that the Russians have meddled in our campaigns in the past, will continue to do so. You heard at the global threats hearing uh, last week uh, leaders of the intelligence community warning the United States, it's time to get serious about these things. And the fact that the president issued, you know, a, ser- a string of, of tweets that, you know, are, are the kind of tweets that we've come to expect from the president, I think is the biggest indictment of his behavior on this Russia investigation yet. I mean, you have to care about these things. If you don't care about them, it matters. When he tweets, I mean, Rex, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, made a comment over the weekend that mm-hmm. when the president tweets, it doesn't change policy. 
that may be true in the strictest sense if you're Rex Tillerson, but people notice what the president tweets about. And if you have the Russians sitting back in Moscow looking at President Trump complaining about the Democrats, complaining about the FBI, complaining about all these other things and not complaining about the Russians, that sends a message to the Russians. And I'll take it one step further. Hogan Gidley, a deputy spokesman for the White House, was out on Fox News this weekend saying that the Democrats and Russians affected these things yeah. far more than or excuse me the democrats and the fbi affected these things or distorted this process far more than the russians did that's an outrageous thing to say and it was not surprisingly picked up by russian propaganda outlets no the, the, i want to underline that point that here you have the the presidential spokesman coming out making those comments uh downplaying the russian attack and then you know russia today picks that up and is tweeting that out the russian the russian propagandists are using the white house spokesman i, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, president's day and about uh, and about gun control uh, with you but but steve uh we want to uh, give a shout out to one of our sponsors uh dollarshaveclub.com um i'm i'm not guessing that you are necessarily a, a client of theirs given your facial you know situation but but i you know but i am and and the point that I think people need to understand is that they're not just razors, and this is the part that I find most attractive. It's better than shopping in a store. I mean, these folks have everything, everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. They have shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, and of course, uh, some of the best razors out there, um, you know, including the executive razor. The true gold standard of any morning routine is their doctor's Carver Shave Butter. It helps this razor glide across your skin. And the best part, from my point of view, delivers everything to you. It means no more trips to the store, wandering the aisles, hunting for razors, shampoo, toothpaste, or taking the time out from your day to go shopping so you can play at being a cashier, scanning and bagging your own stuff, which I cannot believe anybody thought was a good idea. Uh, so you can join Dollar Shave Club today, and for just $5, that's 5 bucks with free shipping, You'll get their Dollar Shave Club starter set. It has the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one-wipe Charlie's, which, by the way, has nothing to do with me, and I really don't want to go into what the one-wipe Charlie is about, but, but you get that. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. You can get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash weeklystandard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard, just five bucks. Okay, Steve, um, the we, we've gone through this, this ghoulish groundhog day of these mass shootings. This one seems to have, uh, uh, this one has not gone away as, as, as quickly as some of the others, in part because of the very, very eloquent and emotional comments from from the students who are you know speaking out from Florida. But uh, we got a report earlier today that uh, President Trump is at least willing to entertain the possibility of of some gun control laws dealing with background checks. So again, how seriously should we take that on a scale of 1 to 100? What are the chances that President Donald Trump and a Republican Congress will enact any sort of significant gun control legislation? Um I would say slightly better than 50-50. Um, if you look at the the ability of these kids to sustain 
these arguments and the willingness uh, or eagerness even of, of a media to amplify those arguments. This one uh, feels like it might have more staying power. And what you have, I think, in the background is Republicans, many Republicans having already expressed a willingness to look at some further restrictions. You've got um, John Cornyn, uh, after um, the shooting in Texas a few months ago, offering legislation um, to to make some tweaks. You have other Republicans talking about um, getting rid of these bump stocks. So you, you have Republicans on the record being willing to look at some of these things. And then you have a president who, you know, at one point before he was a Republican presidential candidate was in favor of a gun control, and in some cases, pretty strict gun control. Um, the The real question is, you know, how how does the president respond to the NRA, deal with the NRA? The the NRA <coughs> obviously supported the president um, considerably more than than they did Mitt Romney um, in the twenty sixteen election. And you know, I think this will will come down to a uh, you know the ability of the outside groups, uh, new groups, student groups. Um, to sustain their arguments here, and they've done a they've done a uh, pretty effective job over this first weekend. Well, that's interesting. See, my I guess my take would be that that if uh, if the the aftermath of Newtown didn't generate any sort of any sort of response, and the aftermath of what happened in Las Vegas did not even generate a ban on bump stocks, that it's unlikely this is going to change. You know, part of it is. Um, you know, the question of, of the NRA, which has tremendous influence and whether or not uh, President uh, Trump would be willing to disappoint them or whether he could, he could cut it, he could cut a deal with them in any sort of a way. But, uh, you know, this is you know, we feel like we've been through this so many times now. You, you, you could be right. I would say if, if, if people were, were betting based on uh, past experience, there's no question that the, the smarter bet is, is the argument that you're making. I just wonder, given the cumulative events here and the fact that after each event you've seen Republicans show some willingness, including Republicans representing deeply red um, states, show some willingness to take a second look at these things, um, leads me to believe that there could be at least a, a, a big debate about um, some further restrictions. Okay, so it is it is President's Day, um, which used to be George Washington's birthday when, you know, before we made it into, a, as you pointed, a personality, I mean, a, a participation trophy. So looking back, Steve Hayes, best president in American history. Well, it's just too easy to say um, because the answer is Abraham Lincoln. I don't I don't really think there's much a debate uh, of a debate. I mean, you can you can go back and look at um, any of a number of others who can, you know, who have their partisans who could make a case. But when you look at um, Abraham Lincoln as a statesman, Abraham Lincoln as a classical small R Republican, Abraham Lincoln as a moral leader, um, I just think that there's there's nobody uh, who better exemplifies the American spirit and American leadership than Lincoln does. Except, of course, George Washington, because if, if, he was, if he was not president, we wouldn't necessarily have a country. We wouldn't really have a presidency. And I, I think to a certain extent, uh, we, we've underappreciated. No, I'm going to go with George Washington. Rather, Abraham Lincoln's an, an excellent choice, but I keep coming back to, you know, how contingent you know, our republic was and, and, the, and, the role, and the role that George Washington played. And his willingness to give up power. I mean, I think those those are very effective arguments. I don't think that I'm I'm not persuaded as persuasive as you are. I'm not persuaded. I stick with Lincoln. But I would say Washington has a pretty darn good argument, too.
All right, who is the most overrated president in American history? And there's a lot of good candidates for this one. Boy, that is with, with the. Um... Well, let me throw out who I was thinking of when I when I when I when I when I when I, when I, when I, when I wrote it down. My my knee jerk response was, and I'm, and I'm open to persuasion on this, was 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 John F. Kennedy. You know the and you know perhaps because he was struck down so quickly, so young. But when you in the great sweep of things, the people actually think that John F. Kennedy was one of our great presidents. When in, in fact he was really sort of a parenthesis. Uh, there are a lot of other presidents that that I think had a much more, uh, you know, had greater impact, uh, confronted greater crises. But I, I do think that he was, he was, uh, he's, he's overrated. Well, I, I, I agree with you about Kennedy. There is this mystique and myth- mythology that's been built up around Kennedy that has sort of a, a Hollywood element to it um, that has built him up into something beyond uh, what his actual impact as president of the United States was. Um, you know, with the with the caveat that I I may well be guilty of recency bias, um, I think there's an argument to be made for Barack Obama. Um, certainly, if you look at the way that historians, most of them left leaning, have regarded Obama, have treated his tenure uh, as president, and you look at the way that he was covered in the media. Um, there is a strong case to be made that he was vastly overrated. I think you look at his legacy of you know, slow economic growth, slower than it likely could have been. You look at um, his, uh, the impact of his economic stimulus, which was uh, minimal, I would say, to be charitable. You look at the fact that he added a new entitlement uh, to the United States that's facing an entitlement crisis that is driving uh, our our debt crisis. You look at his willingness to provide cash um, and uh incentives to the Iranian regime, the leading state sponsor mm-hmm. of terror in the world, and where that's left us. You, you look at his failed non-war on terrorism, basically ended the war on terrorism despite the fact that we hadn't won it, and you have a president now who's got to deal with all that Barack Obama left to him on, on that front. You look at the fact that the president didn't take Russia very seriously, even mocked Mitt Romney for bringing up Russia in the 2012 presidential election. Now you look at Russia, I think most people would agree, is our number one geopolitical foe. You look back on the Obama presidency, and I think you see error after error, mistaken judgment after mistaken judgment. And whatever good he did simply by virtue of the fact that he was who he was, and that's that's not nothing. I mean, I think that was something to be celebrated in, in 2008. It, it was an important milestone. But then you look at his actual performance, and I think he is he is certainly one of the more overrated presidents, certainly in the last century. Okay, one last question. Most underrated president? Most uh, underrated uh, president. I mean, again... <laughs> I'm guilty of recency bias. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at the, the recent past, but you you look at the historical surveys, the, the surveys of uh, American historians about uh, presidential greatness, presidential success, and Ronald Reagan, I think, is horribly underappreciated in in those uh, assessments of different presidencies. And, you know, it, does that mean he's underrated for the broad populace? Probably not. I think there's a lot of people who look back on the Reagan years with um, pride and nostalgia. But certainly if you look at the, the academic historians and their, their um, ranking of presidencies, Ronald Reagan is 
underappreciated given what he did to create a booming economy and particularly I think what he did to help hasten the downfall of this no, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I, um, I wrote down um, Ulysses S. Grant only because I just finished reading the, the Ron Chernow biography. And I remember, I remember when I was growing up, when people would make lists of who the worst presidents were, Grant was often on it. And, and uh, so there's a certain revisionism, uh, revisionism going on. I actually think that, that Dwight Eisenhower is underappreciated. There, there, hasn't, ever, there hasn't been uh, this revisionist um, movement that, for example, that uh, that Harry Truman enjoyed or that John Adams in- enjoyed. And when you think about uh, the times in which uh, he presided, the fact that uh, um, he did he did keep us safe. He certainly was not an inspirational figure like a John F. Kennedy or a Barack Obama or a Ronald Reagan. Um, but I but I think there's going to be a moment where people will go um, that we did not appreciate what he accomplished in terms of peace and prosperity. Steve Hayes, thank you so much for joining me, and thanks for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. We will be back tomorrow.